Okay, we're going to turn our attention now to the scripture. If you want to stand, we're going to be reading from the scripture from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning, uh, well, I'm going to cover the whole chapter because I'm going to South Carolina next week, so uh, I'm be covering the whole chapter. Uh, and so we're going to read, though, this morning, 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses, then I'm going to have you read verse 17 and verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, says this, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And that is our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand. And you who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. So I just remind us that we, are, we have opened the most powerful book in the world. This is the most powerful book in the world. This is a book that is inspired by God. This is a book with timeless truths. It speaks to us as if it was written today. It's inerrant in all of this. It's literally, it's, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, literally is God-breathed. So we're hearing the very words of God. And as we gather, we, we gather to hear the, the voice of God through the word of God. And so just a little background to what we're looking at today in 2 Peter. The government there that uh, was in place was, uh, was a uniquely horrific government. It was a government that uh, the Roman emperor Nero, who was a madman, a crazy man, uh, many, many people think a demonically possessed man. He was uh, uh, becoming the, uh, the emperor of the most powerful empire on the planet, the longest standing empire in the history of empires. And so we're in the middle now of an empire that is beginning to melt down, beginning of a, a, an empire that has great hostility, hostility toward Christ's followers. It was an empire where there was political upheaval, there was rioting in the streets. Uh, it was awful. There was racial discord, racial disharmony. Uh, maybe it seems like it has nothing to do with you, but that's what was happening here. So now Peter is hand-selected by Jesus. Peter is one who's been mentored, has been coached, uh, has been instructed by Jesus. He's a close friend, and yes, he had his stumbles. Yes, he had his fumbles, but the Lord pursued him. The Lord forgave him. The Lord... Uh, restored him and reset him. And Jesus wants to do the same thing in us that he did in Peter. You have your fumbles, you have your stumbles, and I do too, but it's not how you fumble and stumble, it's how that you end the story. It's how you finish. And so this is Peter's farewell message. Peter now knows that he's going to die. He knows the finish line is close. He knows he's nearing the end. That he's going to put off this tabernacle. And so he wants to love them. These are the final words, you know, the, the irre irreducible minimum that he can speak to them, knowing that he's going to die. This is the last chapter. And so his tone then is one of like a father. His tone is one that has the, uh, the emotional uh, trajectory of one who is going to be leaving them, and like a father that is loving his children or a grandfather that is speaking his final words to his children. It is full of love and full of affection. And so uh, he's saying that he wants to love them as a father would love his children. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in to the message. Father, thank you that we are here. Father, I pray for everyone here and watching online. 
Lord, that you would meet us and that we would hear your voice. May we delight in you. I pray for a divine stirring of our affections to love you, to trust you, to surrender our lives to you. Father, that we would have a sense of you extending your heart and hand toward us, that you are only hope, our only uh, uh, the one that forgives us, that blesses us, that restores us, that renews us, and Father, that comforts us and transforms us. And I pray this morning we would hear your voice. We pray for our nation. Father, uh, we pray for you to touch our nation, to move in our nation. Uh, may your grace abound in our nation. Father, as we celebrate our birthday, may you move across our land. We ask in Jesus' name, awaken our hearts. Amen and amen. So, uh, by way of introduction, Peter now, he's a Galilean fisherman. And I just like to point this out, that Galilee was like where all the punt country bumpkins were from. I mean, you were from Galilee, and Jesus spent a lot of time there. But I point this out to you, that, that Jesus called a fisherman, a Galilean country bumpkin fisherman then, and he becomes the great leader of the church and writes this letter. And I say this because you can be here this morning and feel like, you know, who am I? You know, I'm not qualified. Well, nor was Peter qualified. And what God does is he, he calls the unqualified, and then he qualifies them. And I was thinking about the people that pastor this church. And one of the people that pastor this church, he was a former drug dealer, started the church with all of, all of his former drug buddies, and he's one of the teaching pastors here. Another one sitting over there was a former roofer. Another one of the pastors here was a former Division I football player. And another one, I can't even believe it, uh, I don't know where they found him, but the other one has like been a dentist in dental world. And so I just can't believe where we're getting the pastors. But anyway, the point is this, is that God called this Galilean fisherman, Peter, and he calls you and I also. He calls stay-at-home moms. He calls, um, he calls students. He calls people that are working in factories and healthcare workers and fast food. And, and this is who he calls and this is who he qualifies and this is who he uses and so that's the background of Peter. Looking at verse 1, he says this. And this is my second letter to you, dear friends, or beloved. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he said, Hey, as long as I'm here, I'm here to stir you up. So he says, now, I'm here to stimulate you. In other words, I'm here to motivate you. I'm here to inspire you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to stir up your faith. It literally means to wake up from your sleep. It literally means to be aroused. You know, sometimes you go along and you just kind of, a, uh, you sort of plateau a little bit. And he's saying, look, you need to be aroused. You need to be woken up. You need to stir one another up. Sometimes you need a personal stir upper. You think about that. I think oftentimes that we go to the gym and you don't feel like working out. You feel like you'd rather go get a Slurpee or have some Eto's, uh, Cheetos or Doritos, or whatever. But you get, you know what you do is, is uh, you go ahead and you get somebody that's a personal trainer to stir you up. Think about that. And all they do is say, okay, you don't need to have a Slurpee. You don't need more Etos. Push harder work. And they're stirring you up. And that's, in a sense, what he's staying, saying here. And when you come together, you get stirred up. God does something in the building, in the tent, that he doesn't do anywhere else. You engage people, they can stir you up. 
You sing songs, they can stir you up. You hear a message that, uh, that can stir you up on a, on a holiday. You come here on a holiday and you think, wow, there's other people that got out of bed too for the, the 8.30. They're meeting in a tent and what are we going to do? But that can encourage you and stir you up. And so I remember when we first had the, a drive-in church and there were people literally, they're pulling onto an old chicken ranch, right? An old chicken ranch. And it's a dirt parking lot. And we had a flatbed for the platform. And people are crying as they're getting here. In fact, I walked out and I was crying to see everybody. I was so stirred up. You know what I mean? And so God stirs you up when you get together. But that's his point here is that we all need to be stirred up. And so that happens when we gather. He said, that's what I'm going to do for you. And then he says this. He says, Peter addresses them, and he says, dear friends or beloved. I want to unpack that for a moment because Peter wants them to know that they are his friends, but even more than that. Four times he says it in this chapter, friends, 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 or beloved, uh, depending on what translation you have. Now, Peter's getting older. He's like a grandfather. He's been around the block a few times. And he can't be sort of cool. You know, grandfathers can get away with that, calling people beloved. But, you know, you can't, it's cooler to say like bro or something. I still like to say that, bro. But, man, Peter doesn't have ripped jeans anymore. He's not a young guy. And he can't, you know, use the language. So he says, beloved. Check this out. This is the same word that God the Father spoke over Jesus the Son when he was baptized. And he said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Same word, beloved, used of how he felt about them. It's very, very powerful here. So and I think sometimes we could just pause for a moment. If we only knew how, how much we were loved by God, I think that if we understood that, we would, we would be less hesitant to take our failures to him with fear. I think if we knew how much that he loved us, uh, we would sleep better. We would trust more. I think we would run to him quicker with our issues. And I just want to say, friends, you are his beloved. I just pray that that would just uh, break afresh over your soul. And I know some of us are older and you've been around church for a while, but we are his beloved. And I also want to point out Peter's tone because I think it's very important here how he's speaking. Because in one chapter, chapter one, he's very tender, like Peter's Mr. Tender. And then chapter two, he turns into Mr. Tough Guy, talking about the bad teachers and all that. And then again, he shifts gears, chapter three, and he's Mr. Tender. Well, what is he? Well, he's both. And I especially want to say this to the men. And I want to lean in on the men a little bit. Because some men, I think, can be just sort of Mr. Tender all the time. And then the bad guys can take advantage of you or your family. And then there's others of us who are like Mr. Tough Guy, and Mr. Tough Guy all the time. Well, what is it? It's both. You need to be tough. You need to be tender. There are times to be tough where Peter here, like, he's one tough guy dealing with the false teachers. But then the next chapter, he's not tough anymore. Now he's tender. Uh, of this, this week, uh, I was visiting with a guy, and we were talking, and uh, this guy came up out of nowhere on State Street in Redlands, and he was just shouting, vulgarities and the most awful things. He was like out of control. And I thought this guy must be demon possessed. So as we were walking, I thought, well, we'll sort of take a, take a little slight, slight angle here. 
and so he can kind of walk by. He comes after us. Like he, he was coming after us, this guy, like just shouting these most vulgar things you can imagine saying. And so, uh, so do you think that the person that showed up, that my response to him was Mr. Tender or Mr. Tough Guy? Which, how many people say, Rod showed up Mr. Tender? A few of you know, I showed up Mr. Tough Guy there. And so I didn't like say, hey, how you doing, bro? I said, the first words out of my mouth were, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I said that to him, and I said it. I said it six times in a row because the guy would not shut his mouth. So I thought, this guy just doesn't get it. I'm going to say it again. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. So I just kept rebuking him. And, uh, but you know what? There's a time to be tough, and there's a time to be temper, temp, tender. Now, I would never do that to uh, you know people that I know, but there's a time. And so that's what was happening here with Peter, chapter 1, tender. Then he gets tough. Now he's back to tender. So I think it's very insightful for us. Verse 2 says this. I want you to remember what the holy prophets, that's in the Old Testament of the Bible, said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles, the apostles being the eyewitnesses to Jesus there. They summarized the Bible. They spoke of the coming of Christ. And so he says, I want you to be reminded now of two things. Number one, be reminded of the truth of God's word. And then the next verse, verse 3, he says, most importantly, in other words, get your ears on. Everybody listen. Don't miss this. This is critical. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. So what is he talking about here? He wants to remind us, and sometimes you need to be reminded of what you already know. Paul, in writing to his young protege, uh, Timothy, said this, I want you to remind the brethren, the brothers, the people of these things, and you will be a good minister. But you got to remind them. So part of the Christian life is being reminded, and here is what we're being reminded of. That coming down the pike is an unavoidable reality, and I've got three realities for you this morning. The first one is this. The unavoidable reality is that scoffers, he says, will come. They will mock you. They will mock Jesus and they're going to come again and again. So the world, he's saying, is filled with scoffers. The world is filled with mockers. The world is filled with bloggers and YouTubers and political pundits. And the world is filled with social media folks out there and critics and late-night talk show hosts. They're full of them out there, and they're going to be there forever. So wherever you go, he says, look, they will come 100% chance undeniable reality you are going to face scoffers in your lifetime. Wherever you go, you're going to feel like it is their full-time job. They're just there to mock you, to criticize you. And so if you read your Bible and you uh, believe and you follow Jesus, uh, you go to church, uh, if uh, they're not going to stir up your faith, they're going to scoff you. They're going to scoff what you say. And so they're not there to uh, inspire you. They are there to insult you. They're not there to cheer you on and, yeah, give you a high five and pump. No, they're there to call you crazy. They're there not to commend you, but just to criticize you. Scoffers will come. True or false? This is still happening today. 
Come on, somebody. Maybe your Facebook friends, your friends out there, your family, social media. But whatever the category is, there are scoffers. If you believe that Jesus is coming, they go, are you kidding me? You really believe that nonsense that Jesus, you say, if I love Jesus, they'll say, maybe they'll make fun of you. Or you're going to church, they make fun of you. Why would you go to church like in a tent when it's 100 degrees outside? Do you make a mistake? Oh, they'll, they'll criticize you and talk about you forever. So scoffers then, critics, they will come. And friends, I just have to tell you this. On the birth of our nation, I think it's only going to get worse. I think it's only going to get worse. Do you think, does anybody here think that we live in a nation that is one day going to say, hey, everybody, let's like read our Bible and let's do what God says. Do you feel like that's coming in the near future? I don't think so. So when you're in this world, the world is against you, and we're being reminded that God is for you, like you're his beloved. So in the last days, know this. Be reminded, if you are, you are his beloved, and there will be scoffers out there that want to beat on you. Never forget that you're his beloved. The world is filled with scoffing, but the church needs to be filled with stirring. Right on, everybody? Come on, right on. That's what we're doing. And so here's what they say. Here's what the scoffers say in verse 4. And the mockers, the people making fun of you. Here's their argument. They will say, hey, like what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? They're going to say, where's Jesus? I thought he was coming 2,000 years. Church been talking about this. Bunch of nonsense. Where's his coming? Then Then it continues. From before the times of our ancestors, or that's our Old Testament fathers, long time ago, everything has remained the same. They're saying, like, look, nothing has changed. There is no evidence that God is going to make some kind of grand entrance into our history here. But the problem is this. The problem is with their thinking that he points out in this next verse here. After saying, hey, they, you guys talk a good talk. Jesus is not coming back. Everything is the same. Nothing's changed. Come on, man. Verse 5. Here's the problem. They do it's with their thinking. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. In other words, God just spoke it into existence. We create things as by, we only create by pre-existing things. In the, in the Bible, it says God created the heavens and the earth. God, the literal word is bara, which means God created out of nothingness, spoke it into existence by the power of his word. And Peter's saying, look, all those mockers and jokers out there, they forget this, who God is. The God is a God that can speak things into existence out of nothing. God needs nothing to speak the cosmos into existence. So what he's saying is incredibly important here that in the past, God created the entire world out of his word, just spoken into existence. And they overlook, they forget to realize this reality that God was at work. Genesis chapter 1 there, 10 times it says, and God said, and it was so. And God said, he is speaking of the creation into existence, the creation account. So God created by his very word there. And the point is this. God needs nothing at all to create the cosmos, unleashing uh, the cosmos by the power of his word. And so 
you go from Genesis 1 there to the time of Noah, and you flip a few pages and you think like, well, that was nothing, but that was actually 1,600 years. Now think about this, 1,600 years from the creation to the time of Noah. And it seems like it's just, it, it didn't take that long. And you could look at that 1,600 years and think, well, God is slow. Like God is slow concerning the things that he does. And the people were crazy. God was getting ready to judge uh, the earth. And people are thinking, well, God is not judging. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Utter craziness going on. God is speaking. Noah's preaching righteousness. People are ignoring him. Eight people only go into the great boat. They're mocking. They're mocking. They're laughing. They're saying Noah's a joke. And then water started to come from the sky, and now it starts raining. Now they realize it, that ultimately, judgment now is coming, but it was too late. The point is this, that ultimately the first judgment was by water, and there is another judgment coming, what he's going to talk about. So again, it says in verse 7 then, it says, then he used the same word, that is the word that he spoke the world into existence. The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. Now the second judgment is going to be by fire. And so these last days realities that we need to embrace, one is that scoffers will come. And secondly, God is a God that judges. He will judge, even though it may not seem like it. So he says here that the whole earth has been stored up for fire. In other words, there's like an expiration date on planet earth. It's like all kindling, friends, and it's all going to pass away. It is all temporal. And so what he is saying is that the world as we know it is not working, and it is coming to an end, is what he's saying. And so there is going to be the end of this world. Everything that you can see one day will no longer be. How many people would agree that it's beginning to feel more and more like the world is not working. How many of you does it feel like that? The world is not, not working. So let me say this, that there's this pervasive, I think, in a, a powerful myth that the world is like our eternal home. Well, it's not, and the, and the resources need to endure forever. Well, we want to take care of the resources, but they really don't need to endure forever. And so, and we need to reduce the human population on the earth and don't overextend the resources and all that. Well, the reality is that the earth is going to come to an end. Continue, it says here, and they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And so it will be judgment 2.0. First by water, then by fire is what he's saying. Verse 8. Now Peter answers the question why Jesus has not yet come. In verse 8, 9, and 10, here's the answer to all the mockers and jokers. They're saying, when is he going to come? Here's your answer. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends or beloved, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, God is timeless. God lives in an eternal now. He, he lives outside of time here. And so 2,000 years to God is like, it's just like nothing. 1,000 years is like a day, a day is like 1,000 years. And then he says this, and the Lord really is not slow about his promise as some people think. See, God is not locked into our clock. 
And he's not slow concerning his promise. Like in the days of Noah, they would say that he is slow concerning his promise, or now, his, regarding his return. And then it says in, the, in verse 9, continuing, No, he's being patient. For your sake, he does not want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to repent. See, that's the heart of God on display right there. That's the desire of God. He doesn't want anyone to miss the boat of knowing him, of being his follower, of being his intimate, of being right with God. He doesn't want anyone to miss that. So God is patient. Friends, aren't you glad that God is patient? I mean, did anybody here, you could say that God was patient with you? And I could look at like, my story is a story of God's patience with me. Uh, how many of you would say like, yes, God has been patient with me? How many of you are glad that God has been patient with you? How many of you out there, you can say that God has been working on you for a really long time, evidence of his patience? So God literally means he's long-suffering or has a long fuse. So he patiently waits for people to come to faith, to be saved there, and so that they could actually turn, or what the Bible says is to repent. So let me just take a moment and unpack that, what it means here, repentance. So because Jesus then, his love was made manifest on the cross, when he died on the cross, in your place for your sin, paid the penalty for you, God invites you, God invites me to join his family. And so, but you can either have it your way or do it his way. Either you run from your rebellion and run into a relationship with him, or you say, I'll do it my way, like Frank Sinatra, I think, wrote that song, right? Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. So people want to say, I'll do it my way rather than God's way. So to be right with God, what you have to say is, God, I'm not going to live the life that I have chosen. I'm going to live the life that you have chosen. That's turning around, turning away from the life you want to the life that he wants and turning towards him. So all of that to say this is that God is patiently pursuing you. Um, he's being patient with you during the process. And all of life culminates in this one sacred moment. It culminates in this one sacred moment where you make the most important decision you could ever make. And that decision is to say yes to God, to say yes to forgiveness, to turn to God. And he gives you that opportunity by allowing you to repent and to turn toward a relationship with him. Really, it's a beautiful story. It's an awesome story that God is writing. So the truth is then that God is patient, wanting everyone to repent, to turn around, to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart. It is a fundamental change in the deepest level of your being. That's what it means to repent. A fundamental change at the very deepest portions of your being there. So he literally, God is inviting us to turn around and enter into a relationship with the Almighty. Friends, it's beautiful. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God the Father sent his son. The Bible puts it this way. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, like we were the worst off you could imagine, while we were yet sinners, in that state, Christ 
intervened and died for the ungodly. So my hope and my prayer is this, is that uh, you would recognize it's God's patience in your life and you would be ready to receive him as one of his followers. And then it says this in verse 10, the conclusion, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Mockers will come. Judgment will come. The day of the Lord or Jesus will come. That's the third point here. So Jesus is going to return. Well, how is he going to return? It says, as unexpectedly as a thief. Peter makes it very clear, it's going to be unexpected. And I don't care what Bible scholar you are and all the graphs you have, and you can pull them out, and you can take your crayons, and right when Jesus is going to return, and a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, try to figure it out. No man knows the day or the hour. And Peter says here that it's coming like a thief. Now, I don't know about you, but my house has been broken into about five times that I've been married to my wife. Five times. Uh, I think four times in, three or four times in, in uh, Highland and twice in Redlands. All these times our house has been broken into. At first I used to get really traumatized, think like, oh, dang, and it's a bummer. And now it's like, okay, like, what's next? Like, okay, my house has been broken into. What else you got for me, bro? But uh, so, uh, but how many people here, how many people would love it if when you were visited by a thief, they would like text you, hey, I'm coming. Uh, you better be ready because I'm coming. Well, there's no divine text messaging from heaven saying, hey, my son is coming. It will be unexpected. It will be like a thief that is not going to tell you. So the last day's realities are, yeah, there's scoffers. Yeah, judgment is coming. Yeah, Jesus is going to return. What he's saying is, look, uh, you need to know again that this is all inevitable. And so it's not a question of if he's coming, but when he's coming. Verse 11, how should we live then in light of all that? How should we live in light of those realities? Here it is, verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, okay, then he says, what kind of holy and godly lives should you live? See, if that's true, and it is, okay, then how should you live? Like, now where do we go from here? It's all going to end. Scoffer's going to come. Jesus is going to come. End of the world. How do we conduct ourselves? Well, he says, look, you need to live expectantly with an attitude of expectation if Jesus is coming. Verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. That day is going to set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in their flames. Then verse 13, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth that he's promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so you can live with this expectation that there's something that is even better coming, a new heaven, a new earth. So while people are getting discouraged and despondent and depressed and all, you can be encouraged there's a new day coming, that a new earth and a new heaven. So God who made the, the cosmos... God that made the world is making a better world, making a bigger world. And everything you see, how do we live? Well, everything you see is temporal. Everything you see has an expiration date. Everything you see is, is going away at some time here. So how are you going to live? Like, what are you going to live for? Are you going to live for all those temporal 
going away things, or are you going to set your heart on things that will last forever? Are you going to invest in things that will last forever? And I get it. We have our mundane life. It is so mundane. Every Sunday night, tonight, I'll be taking out the trash cans, just a mundane thing, the green one, the gray ones, the blue one, taking them out every Monday. It's mundane things we do. But in your heart of hearts, what manner of people ought we to be for people that, that we're living with an eye to eternity, the knowing that this life is not going to last forever. There's a new world coming. So he says, live holy lives. That speaks of your actions. Uh, he says, speak, live godly lives, like God-like, not perfect, but honoring God with your decisions, filtering him through, you know, what would God, what would please God? That's living a godly life. And then he, be consecrated, be set apart to Jesus. That's how you're to live. Then verse 14, as we're beginning to wind this down. Did I tell you that next week I'm going to South Carolina? Did I tell you? So if the message is too long, just send me an email. My name is Steve Mason. Be glad to respond to you. Verse 14. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort, or some of your translations read, be diligent. Be diligent then. Make every effort to live for God. And be found living peaceful lives, pure and blameless. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So why is he being so patient, giving us time to be saved? God is patient. And that is our, what our beloved brother Paul said. And he said basically, hey, some of what he says is confusing. And if you read Paul like, yeah, it is confusing. Some of it is hard to understand. Verse 17 says, but beware. But you already know these things, dear friends or beloved. And beware. So be on guard. That literally means in the original language to be like a soldier who's on post. And who's just ready for the enemy? A soldier on post. Beware is what he's saying here. Be watchful. Be awake. Be at your post. Don't fall asleep. It says, literally, don't get carried away. I would ask, how many people have been carried away the last year? We've been carried away by, you know, breaking news. You know, the latest on COVID. The latest on mask wearing. The latest on the vaccine. The latest, you know, all our fears. And we've gotten carried away. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know we've been carried away. Like, you get carried away like all the mask wearers are going to go to heaven. And the non-mask wearers, I'm just joking. But, but you know what I'm talking about? It's been so divisive and get carried away. And are they going to take my temperature when I go to that store? You know, am I going to have to have a vaccine card? We've just been carried away by so many things here. We're saying, look. Keep your eyes in the affections of your heart. Steadfast. Be at your post. Be aware. Be on guard. Be like a soldier, aware, watchful, awake. And then verse 18. I love this. His last words. You must grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all glory be to him, aeonios, prosonios, forever, endeavor, endeavor. His last words, think about this, friends. So the last words he says is, here's what you need to make it through this season. You need to go, grow in God's grace, and you need to know your Bible. This is what you need. 
Peter's saying, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone soon. But you need to know this, that this is transformative to you. You can grow in grace. You can grow in character, grow in who you are. And in the next season that you're facing, remember what they were facing? Nero's a madman. Like our culture is, is, is out there, is getting more and more crazy. Look, what you need to survive, what you need to make it, grow in the grace of God and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's awesome, friends. It's awesome. And he says, and he wants them to know, look, you're my beloved. That's beautiful. So beautiful. How deeply you are loved by God, Peter is saying, and how deeply you are loved by me. You are my beloved. He's saying, look, you can't plumb the depths of the love of God. You can never get there. And you need to know that to survive the scoffing. You need to know that. So I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Very simple. Very simple. This is what you need to do. Keep growing. Keep growing. Don't stop. Don't plateau. I've been in church 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. No. Keep growing in light of his return. And keep growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's awesome. Let's pray. And Father, thank you, Holy Spirit. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's given to us. And Father, for those that are here today and feel overwhelmed, may they know that they are the beloved of God. And for those that are afraid, may they know that they are your beloved. Those that feel rejected, may they know that you're their beloved. Those having a great day or a good day or a bad day, may they know that they're your beloved. And until Jesus returns, may we stir one another up to love and good works. May we share the Father's love with one another. May we encourage one another, be patient with one another. May we invite those outside your family into your family to experience you. And Lord, I pray for the men that they would know when to be tough and when to be tender. I pray that for all of us, but especially for them. May the wives and children and grandchildren know that they are beloved. And I pray that this church, the churches of this area, Father, that we would be a place where women and children are blessed in the love of Jesus Christ. And may this community and beyond be blessed because we are here. And God bless America. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.